we can only record for a half an hour at a time before it starts to get over each other, but I think we'll be uh, good enough with just the two of us. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's the history podcast in close to 30 minutes or less. Yeah, I gotta, you're right, I gotta fulfill, <laughs> I gotta fulfill my spiel. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Fast Pass, the history podcast in close to 30 minutes or less. As always, I'm Megan. I just quickly want to address something. So Fast Pass, as you know, has been away for quite a while. Uh, Jason's decided he wanted to step away from the podcast to pursue other interests, and I'm over here just rooting on for him and wishing him the best. Now, the question remains, though, do I keep Fast Pass and just run it by myself, which after a few months I decided to do? Because at the end of the day, I love researching and teaching people history. And I know my history topics weren't always the most entertaining, but they were real and informative about things that I think we really need to discuss. So from now on, it's just me running fast past here. I'm going to do my best to touch on some things that I really wanted to dive into. But today, as homage to the fast pass of the past, I thought we would pick up with the assassination of Abraham Lincoln and talk a little bit about John Wilkes Booth. And then I thought to myself, what better way to do this than with my history teacher, little brother? Hey, <laughs> so let's break it down. If you haven't listened to our last episode, then I mean, you should. It'll help set up parts of this episode, fascinated, and then some of the things about his life. But you know what, Trev, why don't you give us a condensed version? Okay, Lincoln, born in a log cabin, passed the bar, ran for Senate, failed, married his rival's love interest, big power move, gets elected president, Civil War starts, he wins the Civil War, and then he gets dead did 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 Yep, shooty shooty bang bang by another Ben, John Wilkes Booth. And we're starting, and that's who we're starting with today. John Wilkes Booth, he was born in Bel Air, Maryland on May 10th of 1838 to a family of actors. Making him a Taurus, just like me. He followed in his family's footsteps and took to the stage for the first time when he was 17 years old. He was known for his energetic performances and for being a scene stealer. His last performance was at the Ford Theater in Washington, D.C. Which is where... Yeah, that's, that's where he killed Lincoln. Wow, talk about a full circle moment. Well, back to Booth. His brother, Edwin Booth, was actually extremely famous and world-renowned for his performance as Hamlet. He was huge in England. So where did his brother go wrong? Well, to be fair, John Wilkes Booth didn't exactly have a squeaky clean record. He was said to be, quote, an opium addict, a sexual predator, a homewrecker, a thief, a cutthroat, and a debauche. 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 Can't get that one right. <laughs> he was a debauchee. Right, debauchee. He was a debauchee, which means he was known for his sexual attitude. Friends also said that there was no arguing with him because he was not the man who would change his mind. On top of it all, he was known to have a temper and snap, which... Temper and snap. It was egotistical and hated losing. This was essentially the perfect formula for an assassin. Now let's start... Let's discuss where his distaste for Lincoln came from. And that we have to go back to Harper's Ferry. Right. Abolitionist John Brown raided Harper's Ferry because of an armory. He wanted to take the weapons, give them to freed slaves, and freed people of color in order to literally fight for their freedom and the abolition of slavery. In the end, they did end up taking the armory, but several of his men died before they surrendered. He was sentenced to hang for his crimes. And just a little fun fact here, but Robert E. Lee was actually the one to stop him at the armory in Harper's Ferry. So back to Booth. Following the raid, John Wilkes Booth joined a militia called the Richmond Grays that was in attendance at John Brown's hanging. And he was, quote, satisfied with Brown's fate and also applauded how stoically he faced his death. Wow. What a kind thing to say about someone's literal public execution. 
Now, when the Civil War began, Lincoln suspended habeas corpus, which basically says that someone does not have to be brought before a judge in court to go to jail. So by suspending this, Lincoln basically said that anybody who he thought was guilty was guilty. It was not a popular move on his part. Uh, Because Lincoln suspended habeas corpus, he began to imprison any pro-secession Marylanders, and John Wilkes Booth was one of those who was imprisoned. And Booth was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Isn't this unconstitutional? And the short answer is yes, but. See, the Constitution allows it in some cases. Quote, the privileges of the writ of habeas corpus shall not be suspended unless when in cases of rebellion, of invasion, the public safety may require it. So Lincoln was technically in his right to do so. But that kind of made some people just a little mad. Oh, big time, big time. Now, there's actually a lot that happens in John Wilkes Booth's life, and most of it's really interesting. But for the sake of time, I'll condense it a little bit. Basically, he found success in acting. He was a fervent Southern supporter, and he wanted to get involved in the war. His mother, however, made him promise not to do that. And he kept his promise until he didn't keep his promise. (laughs) Yeah, he actually wrote a letter to his mother toward the end of his life explaining his reasoning for going through what he did. Quote, For four years I have lived, I may say, a, a favor slave, it's true, but no less hateful to me on that account. Not daring to express my thoughts even in my own home. Constantly having to hear every principle dear to my heart denounced as treasonable, and knowing the vile and savage acts committed on my countrymen and their wise and helpless children, I have cursed my willful idleness, and begun to deem myself a coward, and to despise my own existence. For four years I have borne it all for your dear sake, and for you alone I have also struggled to fight off the desire for it to be gone, unquote. You see, he promised his mom to stay out of the war, which was cool, as long as the South was winning. But as you know, the South wasn't, was uh, losing at the end. And that was what set him off. That was when he could no longer keep his promise. So he went to two of his closest friends, Michael Laughlin and Samuel B. Arnold, and two men who had fought for the Confederacy in the war and told them about his plan to abduct Abraham Lincoln. In the beginning, his plan was simply to kidnap him, bring him to Richmond, and then hold a hold him hostage for exchange for prisoners. Yeah, see, the North and the South used to do this prisoner exchange every year, but that would give the South way more manpower. So the North decided to stop doing this. Booth thought with the exchange back, the war would turn again to the South's tide. But what was the original abduction plan? Well, they plan they planned to abduct Lincoln when he visited St. Elizabeth's Wounded Soldiers Hospital in Washington D.C. There was a cottage close by that Lincoln would probably retire to. He traveled by carriage, as Booth did as well. He would commute to, to the White House from there. The plan was to jump him, take him and his coachman and the carriage, drive through Lower Maryland, then place him on a boat, and then take that boat over to Richmond. Now, obviously, there were some serious issues with this. Like, I don't know, maybe the fact that the president always was heavily guarded with 20 to 30 cavalrymen. He was not as accessible as Booth had imagined. Oh, who could have seen that one coming? Like, oh, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> he's not alone. But nonetheless, Booth was so passionate about this, um, we'll call it a project, that he said he would bankroll the entire thing. Now, after that meeting, Booth told his friends that he would go up north to type some business. Um, and then he would come back to set his plan in motion in a month. When he came back, he brought two horses from up north. Then he came down to Baltimore to buy a buggy to carry Lincoln's body in, and then he rendezvoused with his fellow conspirators. Then they made their way 
to Washington. The original plan for abducting him while he visited a wounded soldier's hospital diminished. He didn't seem to be doing much of that when they got there, so instead they decided to stalk literally every, his every move in order to find the right time to kidnap him. And now, there were several opportunities for this, but Booth didn't take them. This angered his co-conspirators, that, and that was when he had an idea. Instead of going to Lincoln, why don't we have him come to us? Lincoln could be abducted at Ford's Theater. This was his plan for abducting the president in the middle of a crowded theater. Quote, a man would cut off the gas and create confusion, the confusion necessary for their escape across the stage, out the back, and down the alley at the rear of the theater. His fellow people were doubtful, but none dared to cross him. Oh, uh, when they were originally in Washington, they had plenty of times again to kidnap the president, but they didn't do it for various reasons. Booth was broke, he had spent 4000 on a failure of an effort, but he refused to go back to the North, so he stayed in Washington, which was still the North, but not quite so far North, so I guess it's okay. For the next few years, it was a repeating theme. Booth gets angrier at Lincoln. Booth tries to inspire someone else to kill Lincoln. They don't do it. Booth gets angrier again and again, this vicious cycle. Until one night when Lincoln made an announcement from the White House declaring the war was won and that there was no more slavery. And again, I just want to say here that even though Lincoln ended slavery, he only did this because he didn't have enough northern soldiers to win the war. And the 200,000 black soldiers that signed up for the war won the war. So his move to free the slaves was a last, last ditch effort to win the war. Ruth actually went to that event to inspire a senator to murder Lincoln because it would be because it, it would, quote, be easy for him to get away in the large crowd. And he, too, did not want to go through with it. April 13th, 1865, he rushed into Ford Theater to convince the owner to invite Lincoln and his entire cabinet to attend the performance. And the theater, the head of the theater was like, I mean, sure, we're going to do that anyway, but okay. So he went back the next day to ask Lincoln if he was going to go to a show, which show and where he would be. And the head of the theater told him they'd be coming that night, April 14th. The stars seemed to finally align for Booth. That afternoon, he got three accomplices together and decided that they would not only kill Lincoln, but the Secretary of State and the Vice President. Lewis Powell and David Harold were assigned to kill the Secretary of State, who was William Henry Seward, in his home. George Atzerod was tasked with killing the Vice President Johnson in his suite in his hotel. And Booth, because he knew the people at the theater... He would kill Lincoln. Foolproof plan. Foolproof. So here's how it all went down. Starting with Seward. He was actually recovering from a near-fatal carriage accident that happened nine days earlier. And this was one of his good days since then. He ate, he talked, he was feeling better. So he decided to throw a party at his house that night. But one of his family members was to stay by Seward's side. So Lewis Powell came in and claimed to be someone who needed to give the Secretary of State his medicine. He was not admitted upstairs, but pushed his way through to find William's son, Fred. Fred told him his father was sleeping and that he would administer the medicine when he woke up. At first, Powell turned around to leave, but then he turned back and shot at Fred. The gun misfired, and he fired with such force and so close that the butt of the gun cracked him on its head, exposing his brains. Then he forced his way into the bedroom. Private Robinson, who was guarding the door, rushed in behind him. Powell pulled out a large knife and slashed his forehead partially, knocking him to the ground. Seward's daughter, Fanny, ran beside him, begging him not to kill her father, but he stabbed Seward in the face and neck. 
Fanny's screams brought her brother Gus into the room. Powell advanced again on Seward, but was pulled away by Gus and Robinson. Powell decided to leave, but not before he hit Robinson again and stabbed at Gus. He was able to get away while Gus, while Gus ran for his gun, but not before he stabbed one other girl in the back. Seward actually didn't die from this. His carriage accident actually saved his life because the gash to his head while bad was deflected by a device that was holding his jaw together. Carriage accident saved lives. Now, the assassination of the vice president went way different in that it didn't happen at all. George had agreed to kidnap the president, but when it turned into a plot of triple assassination, he told Booth he would not do it, and he didn't. He literally went to the vice president's hotel, sat around, and then was like, nah, man, and left. And this brings us to the big one, the presidential assassination. Booth had okay. already placed himself inside the theater when they can arrive. I mean, this was actually pretty smooth considering what happened with Seward. Uh, the White House footman delivered a message to Lincoln at about 10, 12 p.m.? PM? Yeah, mm-hmm. 10, 12 p.m. Then Booth entered with his calling card and shot Lincoln in the head. And that's where things got messy. Now, considering he had just murdered the president of the United States, someone came in and tried to grab him. Booth pulled out a knife and slashed at him and then jumped to drop 15 feet to the stage below. According to reports, the spurs on his boots caught on the curtain, which caused him to land on his hand and knee. But in pain, he still stood, raised his knife, and said in Latin, thus always to tyrants. Honestly, people thought this was part of the show until they started to hear the screaming. And then, you you know, Lincoln died soon afterward, and Booth was later shot and killed a few days after when he was hiding in a barn. And the rest is history. I want to thank Trevor so much for joining me on my first episode on this journey with this podcast alone. I appreciate you so much. And I'm also so grateful to everyone that continues to come back and talk history with me. I'm not going to lie. It's been hard for me to find the motivation to write episodes. I've been really nervous that nobody would want to listen to me or my topics that they wouldn't be as good. Um, But finishing this one felt really good. So I plan to have more episodes coming your way. I'm going to try to do two a month. But if you want to catch me in between, you can check out The Ordinary Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and any other podcasting site it is that I do with my friend Chris. Again, Trevor, thank you so much. No problem. But for now, bye-bye. Bye-bye.